Hello, hello. <laughs> Welcome to episode 65 here on the Yours Truly podcast. My name's Claire. I'm your host. I'm the weirdo dietitian behind Yours Truly Nutrition, and I'm so truly glad that you have chosen to spend a little bit of time with me today here on the podcast. So I have no idea where you are right now or what time of day it is or what the weather is like where you are, but I feel compelled to let you know that where I am, it is a glorious day. It's been like raining and super gloomy and dreary for like almost I feel like the past two weeks, but today it is perfectly crisp and the trees are changing and it feels like autumn and I have a really pretty view right now outside of my window. So if I'm sounding a little extra excited, I'm always excited to come on here on the pod, but if I'm sounding a little bit extra excited, it's because I have some extra fall energy under my tail today. So I'm also really excited because the episode that I have to share with you guys today is going to be really fun and really exciting. And I cover a couple of different really important topics with our guest, ranging from eating less and how that's not always the best option for us, and even covering the negative effects that under-eating and under-fueling our bodies can have. We also talking about the importance of rethinking or reframing how we talk about food or how we even think about food, and we even get to bust some really cool food myths, which full transparency, and you'll hear me talk about this in the episode, the questions that I had for our guest Some of them I did not even know the answer to, so when I give you her bio here in a couple of minutes, you'll learn that she is very much the qualified individual to speak on a lot of these food myth type of topics. So before I get to introducing her formally, you know what we have to do here on the Yours Truly podcast. We have to feature our Yours Truly goal-slaying post of the week. So if this is your first time here joining us on the podcast, welcome. First of all, I'm truly glad that you're here. If I already said that in this episode, I apologize for being trite with my puns, but you know how I am. But I want to welcome you to the podcast and also let you know that we always open up our episodes by featuring a post from someone in this free private community that I host. It is filled with my current clients, my past clients, and anyone who is interested in learning more about intuitive eating, how to take the principles of intuitive eating and apply them apply them, not imply, apply with an A, apply them to their own lives and get a lot of really great community support in doing so. So the post that I want to feature today comes from one of my most recent clients, one of the newer individuals to join my private coaching program. And she wrote a little reflection after we had our first call together last week, I believe it was. So she writes, I had my first one-on-one coaching call with Claire this week, and I'm so excited to start this journey of returning to intuitive eating. This week, I've started breaking free from the food scale, and it's been really uncomfortable. The food police have definitely been rearing their ugly heads and telling me that I'm completely out of control. They say that I'm never going to be able to stop eating all of those, air quote, forbidden foods, and I'm so scared to gain weight but I am forging ahead. I believe it's possible to break free from the diet mentality and heal my relationship with food and my body. I'm grateful to have Claire's guidance and support as well as the support of this group. Today, I gave myself unconditional permission to eat regardless of what the food police said to me. 
hashtag down with diet culture. So I want to thank this client for really being an action taker and popping on and sharing her takeaways from her first coaching call with me. And I hope what you are able to draw away from what she shared there is it is normal to have fear in the beginning stages of this journey, or maybe even in the middle or the latter stages of this journey. That is a totally normal human emotion to have. And it's okay to feel a little bit uncomfortable because if you think about it, what you are doing throughout a non-diet intuitive eating journey is you are challenging the narrative. You're challenging the rules that you have been taught about food and your body from the diet culture that we live in that you may have been living with for many years at this point. So anytime that you're going up against a habit, a rule, or something that you have taken as the end all be all, it makes total sense that that might trigger a little bit of uneasiness, some discomfort, but that does not mean that you're doing anything wrong. That doesn't mean that you're doing a bad job on this journey. It just means that you're challenging something that's pretty important. And if you forge through, if you lean into that discomfort, like she mentioned here in her reflection, it's not easy and it's not always going to be comfortable, but that's how we start putting one foot in front of the other on this journey and making forward progress. So again, A big shout out and thank you to my goal slayer. And this is the time in the podcast, if you are new here or if you are not a member of our free private Facebook community, I am extending, I know you can't see my hand here, but I'm extending my hand to the mic like I'm handing you a paper formal invitation, even though those are like Does anyone even do those anymore? Maybe for weddings, but sorry guys, hate to break it to you. I do not have a paper invitation to invite you to our community, but I do have an electronic one. So if you are interested in learning more about intuitive eating, reading daily posts from me, I do weekly live videos, kind of mini trainings in there, or maybe you just want the support of other people who are going through similar experiences, then this is 100% the place for you. So If you want to join us, there is a brief application so that I can get to know you and provide you with the ground rules of this community. But after you submit that and I look over it, I would be more than happy to welcome you in. So you can get your hands on that application through two simple ways. The first way is by finding me on Instagram at Claire Tuning. If you click the link in my bio, you will see the drop-down menu that will have join the Facebook community. And yes, lo and behold, you can click there and it will take you to the application. The other way you can find this if you maybe aren't on Instagram is you can go directly to Facebook, type in the Yours Truly Goal Slayers, and simply press request to join. So if you choose to take this route, please, please, please keep an eye on your messages because I will send you a friend request, I will send you a message giving you the link to that application. So if you request to join and you never check your messages, you're not going to get into the community. So I've had that happen a couple of times where people are requesting and they never read the message to actually fill out the application and join. So if that's you and you're like, oh no, I never checked my message from Claire, go find it. Or if you're new here, be sure to keep your eye on that inbox. So, 
Da, 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 da. My fancy transition music that always steals the show. I know, maybe I can be a singer if this dietitian thing ever goes south for me. But we are transitioning to probably the main reason why you are tuning in to today's podcast. So, our guest today is someone who I have had the pleasure of knowing for almost a year now, which is really crazy for me to say that it has been that long. Livy Ron and I met back in January of this year, so January 2019, through our mutual friend and business mentor, Tony Steffen of the I Believe Mentorship. In the moment that Livy stepped into my life, I was like, this girl is on fire. She has a depth and a breadth of knowledge that I... I personally don't have. (laughs) She has her master's in, wait, let me find it here. I don't want to mess it up, Libby. She has a master's in nutrition and dietetics, also her master's in meat and food science. So one of the first things that I remember ever coming out of Libby's mouth, maybe Libby, if you're watching, you will laugh at this. She said she was a meat scientist. She said she had a PhD or she's a candidate for her PhD in meat science. And I thought to myself, that is like the coolest thing ever. Never in my life have I met someone with those credentials. And on top of those credentials, she is also a registered dietitian who owns a private nutrition coaching practice virtually online, much like myself. So needless to say... Livy is highly decorated in her accomplishments. She has so much knowledge and she was kind enough to sit down with me here a couple of weeks ago and share some of that knowledge that she has from her coaching business, from her meat science expertise, and I tap into both of those. So actually the day I am recording this intro is coincidentally Livy's birthday. So by the time this airs, it will no longer be her birthday. (laughs) I'm not that last minute of a person, guys, but it will no longer be her birthday. But I woke up this morning, um, shot her a text, and I was like, wow, how weird is it that the stars are aligning, that I am talking about her, I am introing her to you all here on the podcast, and today is actually her birthday. So Livy, if you are listening, happy belated birthday. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, and I really hope that you today, listener, will get a lot of value from what she has to share. The last little thing that I will mention here is in listening back to the audio recording from a couple of weeks ago when I interviewed Livy, I do not know why I used the same microphone. I was sitting in my same office space that I always do these recordings, but for some reason, it sounds a little bit echoey on my end. You can 100% make out what I'm saying. It's clear, but it sounds kind of echoey, almost like I'm in a dark cave. So I promise I did not record this from a cave. However, the audio is a little bit funky. So apologies in advance for that, but I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And without further ado, here's Olivia. Just kidding, guys. (laughs) LOL, it's me again, coming back solo for just a second because I just made a total dingus move. In recording that intro, I accidentally recorded over the first like minute of Livy and I's recording, so I apologize in advance. In my year plus of podcasting, I had yet to do that, so 
You know, as they say, there is a first time for everything. Luckily, I mostly just recorded over the part where I was speaking and she began to introduce herself, but it'll pick up here in a second and you will not miss a thing. Well, you'll miss a couple of little things, but hopefully I was thorough enough in the intro. So apologies from your Shuli. I think I need to go eat a PB&J or something to get my head back in the game. But now, without further ado, here is like a minute and a half into our interview. Enjoy. Everything I do is all about making sure that I am strong, well-fueled, and a functional athlete. Um, I met Claire. We had the same uh, business mentor, Tony Steffen. Shout out, Tony. Um, brought us together, introduced me to amazing teams, other dietitians and nutrition coaches. And that's how Claire and I connected. And I just really resonated with Claire and a lot of Claire's message because, you know, from, you know, me coming from kind of my own journey with food and as an athlete, really resonating with more of the kind of intuitive and less tracking approach to nutrition. I love that. And I'm flashing back as you're mentioning there how we connected with each other for the first time. I'm flashing back to that room that we, we first met in in person. And you and I will remember this. Everyone who's listening will be like, what the heck is she talking about? But I was sitting at like a table over yeah. in the corner of the room and you were sitting on a sofa. And I remember at some point in the group conversations, you said that you were a meat scientist. And I kind of like, I, I looked at you and I was like, wait, did she just say she was a meat scientist? Like, I couldn't tell if you were joking or if you were being very real. So I, I know maybe someone who is listening heard you say that a minute ago, and that probably sparked their attention. And they're like, wait, what does she mean by that? So in addition to being a registered dietitian, just before we kind of get into our content here, maybe for anyone who's wondering, like, well, what the heck is a meat scientist, or maybe what do you do as a meat scientist? Just give a little bit of insight because I think it's very unique and it's very interesting because you're the only meat scientist that I know. <laughs> so, um, you know, I originally went to school to be a veterinarian and then I decided to not be a veterinarian and pursue, um, I went to grad school and actually studied meat science, muscle biology specifically. So I became so passionate about agriculture, livestock, and where our food comes from. So for me, I'm kind of a, a dietitian with a little bit of best of both worlds where I really understand food manufacturing, um, you know, and agriculture as well as the nutrition aspect. So I'm a, I'm a food scientist with a, with a specification in meat science specifically. So I'm trained um, in everything from, you know, that goes from live animal to what's on your plate. So that's, you know, animal nutrition, fabrication, slaughter, animal welfare, food microbiology, processed meats, you know, how like the different ingredients we use in processed meats, um, different ingredients we use in fresh meats, what meat packaging. So like, I always joke and tell people when you cut open a cow, Slim Jims don't come out of you. It takes a scientist to make them. So that is my job is actually making different meat products. I work specifically in research and development. I work in technical sales um, and I work for a meat chemical company that sells functional ingredients that go into things like bacon, cold cuts, different types of deli meats, different fresh meats, um, hot dogs, love hot dogs. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, that's, that's what I do full time. And then part time I am a dietitian and I help people really kind of overcome diet culture because I am the biggest squasher of diet culture. Me and Claire are on that, you know, very Absolutely. And so I really tie in a lot of the science I know about food science and food chemistry, specifically in terms of meat and agriculture, and then tie that into killing diet culture with my athletes. 
I love that. And thanks for that little description because I knew you were a meat scientist, but I had never heard you go into detail about what that means and kind of how you're trained. And it does make you not only a very unique and different practitioner, but also makes you very well-rounded, as you were saying, because in school to become a dietitian, we get a little bit of food science um, through some of our, our food service and our experimental foods type of classes, but really the, the biggest emphasis on our coursework is clinical knowledge, is working with clients and patients. So it's cool that you definitely get the best of both worlds. And for everyone who's listening, don't be sad. We are not leaving the meat science topic here. I, I very much plan on towards the end of our episode here, circling back around and really letting you highlight your knowledge and busting some just like food service, food industry myths. Because to be honest, some of the questions that I have written down, I don't even fully know the answer to. So I can't wait to get your expertise, but I'm kind of tapping into what you do with your own nutrition coaching business um, and being that client facing RD. Um, Something that I find really cool about your content is like you said, you're very passionate about squashing a lot of these myths, um, especially the myth that we have to always eat less to be smaller. Like that is something if I could describe to someone your content in like 20 words or less, that's a a really big theme that I see. So since you mentioned that you work with athletes and you're an athlete yourself and that's something you're very passionate about. Um, I'm wondering if you could touch a little bit on the earn your food mentality because I know that I hear that a lot in my work with my clients, but since you work more exclusively with athletes or or with them in higher numbers, I can only imagine that that's something that you hear a lot too. So just give us your take on what that means and why that maybe isn't the most helpful way to think about food. I just have a lot of people who come to me and I I interact with a lot of people just regularly about how they feel like I'm going to eat this cookie and therefore I need to, you know, run an extra two miles. And And the biggest thing is trying to get people away from this idea that food needs to be earned, period. Right? Like I always have people remind themselves, like remind yourself like back when you were in a playground playing in the sandbox literally covered in snot and sand with your belly <laughs> hanging out, picking out a wedgie and you ran inside, didn't wash your hands, ate two PB and J's and then ran back outside into the playground. You're probably sitting playing in sand. Not once did you think, man, now I need to run three miles to ate two PB and J's. Anything, you know, any sort of crazy things that you think in your head about food and food amounts and what the, what they, what the caloric value is. And we just ate because we were hungry. We were playing. We went back to playing. And I always try to get people to think back to what it was like to be a child and not have these, you know, crazy ideas around food and reminding people that as an athlete, we need to eat like period. You know, I have a lot of people who come to me who are eating such low numbers and they're like, my hair is falling out. You know, I can't sleep through the night. I keep waking up. Um, they feel like, you know, like their performance in the gym is stalling. They're like, you know, I used to be able to, you know, lift this really big weight really, you know, I used to be able to do this and now I can't even do 50% of that. Or I'm just exhausted. I'm constantly lethargic. And they're like, I keep, I'm going to the gym more. And like, I, I keep feeling worse about the gym or I have no motivation to go to the gym anymore. And they're explaining all this to me. And they're like, but I, I feel like if I eat this cookie, I have to go to the gym again. And it's always explaining to them that as an athlete, the biggest thing that we have to focus on is fueling and recovery, which is usually the hardest thing for most athletes because they want to go to the gym more and more. Mm-hmm. And the idea of taking off rest days 
and eating enough to perform is the, is the furthest thing that they can even mentally process, right? They're like, but I need to be doing more. I need to be eating less. I need to be continue to do more if I want to do better versus the mindset of I want to build muscle, build mass and recover well so I can perform. And getting people out of this, the idea at all that you have to earn food because we are inherently born able to eat food. We don't, we never had to earn that right. Mm-hmm. And so reinforcing that idea that if you, if you're an athlete or even if you're not an athlete, as a regular human being, everyone deserves to eat. And there was never a point where you're like, I earned it. <laughs> so, you know, we, we don't ever develop the right to, or, the, or to earn food because our whole life, that's the way that our bodies work, right? We, we have calories, have food has calories so that we can use that to fuel our bodies to build more muscle mass. And all the times I get, especially get women who tell me, I want to get toned. Like what you're telling me is you want to build muscle and lose fat. Cause t- I don't hear a tone when I hear your body. I don't see a, a tone of red when I look at your body. You know, I don't see a tone. I don't hear a tone. You, if you're telling me you want to get toned to me, that inter- you want to build muscle and for that to happen, we have to be eating more food so we can develop some muscle tissue. And we need to stop spending six days in the gym because you're overtraining and we need to focus, stop doing crazy things like orange theory, CrossFit, you know, really high intensity hit interval stuff. And we need to focus on how can we best build muscle mass with in some sort of exercise program. That's, you know, low cortisol, low stress threshold so we can get the best bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that I really love that you touched on um, is this whole idea that we were born with the right to eat food. Like since we are human beings, we were born not only knowing how to eat, but it's our inborn right that we need food to survive and we don't have to earn that. And I think the thing that you're really speaking to is that all of this language of, oh, if I eat X, Y, and Z, then I have to run X more miles, right? I think that is a really learned behavior. Because like you said about the the kid covered in snot and sand in this uh, sandbox, they're not sitting there thinking that because they don't necessarily have the mental capacity to internalize those messages yet, or they, they haven't heard them yet, or they don't really believe them. So I think everything that you're talking about, um, what can be really comforting about what you're saying is that since it is a learned behavior, that we have to air quote earn our food or we always have to eat less since we learned that somewhere maybe we can have some hope that we can unlearn that behavior and maybe instill some more positive food values or positive interactions with food and I know that's something that you really stand for so something you touched on in your talking there is that food is meant to have calories, food is meant to have energy. And if you want to become stronger, again, whether you're a professional athlete or whether you're just an air quote normal human being, like I think everyone can value wanting to be strong and wanting to have the stamina to keep up with their life, whatever that might mean, whether that's running around with their kids, whether that's um, having the mental focus to excel in their career, or maybe you are training for something more athletic. But um, the thing that you said about food is meant to have calories and it's meant to provide us energy. Something that I find happening a lot, not only with my one-on-one clients, but just anyone who I come into contact with, because we all live in diet culture, right? We're all subject to its messages is we tend to be really calorie phobic. 
And we tend to maybe see something that is higher in calories, whether that's something like a handful of nuts or something like a muffin, right? No matter what it is. And since we're so calorie phobic and that they learn behavior, we stray away from those foods or maybe we even end up labeling them like good, bad, clean, dirty. So what is maybe a tip that you have for someone who's nodding their head right now and they're like, yes, I'm scared of calories. Yes, I think I have to eat less all of the time. How can they start to maybe believe that their body needs the fuel? Food is meant to have calories. And just because something is higher calorie doesn't automatically make it bad. Like what would you offer them? It's a crazy story. Sidebar here. Um, I was at the airport this morning, so I travel a lot for my job for all those, you know, being in a sales position, I have to travel pretty frequently either for sales meetings or visiting customers or clients or anything like that. And I was in the airport and I went to Starbucks. I got pumpkin cold foam, right? 10 out of 10. <laughs> and, um, I got like the, like a, a slice of like the pumpkin bread and then uh-huh. like some oatmeal. I got like the Starbucks oatmeal. And, um, this guy was like, dang, that's like, you're a little person. That's a lot of food for you. And I was like, Nope, it's great. I'm really excited to eat this. Thanks. Uh, and walked away. Um, and it's interesting, you know, how even people and the way they talk to you and they see me, I mean, I, I eat a lot of food because my biggest goal is, like I said, um, fueling myself for performance, um, as a weightlifter making, and I only train three days a week, right? Cause for me, my biggest thing is uh, I'm about to be 30. And so I don't recover the same as I did when I was younger and training at 24. So for me, I need lots of tra- like recovery days and making sure I'm eating a lot of food, even on my rest days, like I'm not training today and I'm still eating way more than probably a lot of men out there. (laughs) So, you know, and it's one of those things that for me, I always focus people on understanding that when you tell me you want to get toned, you tell me you want to repair your relationship with food and you tell me, you know, you want to feel better in your own skin. You want to build muscle and get stronger. Like you said, whether that's you know, not being, not like being able to not be out of breath when you're running around with your kids in in the yard, or, you know, if you have to park super far away, um, and carry a backpack, you're not out of breath by the time you get to the door. Maybe that's like, you want to be able to walk up the stairs to your office on the ninth floor, or maybe that is, you want to be a weightlifter, a crossfit athlete, and you want to play soccer with your friends or intramural sports, or because here in Chicago, we have tons of sports, you know, we have Mm -hmm. like club softball, club kickball. Maybe it's like, you want to play a club sport with your friends, whatever it is. Being strong is an awesome thing as well as building muscle mass and focusing on building actual muscle tissue versus constantly trying to shrink yourself. The more muscle you you build and put on your body, the more calories you burn at rest, period. So you're increasing the amount of calories that you burn at rest and you're naturally becoming more able to utilize all that food that you're putting in. So instead of being so focused on shrinking yourself and being smaller and being smaller because it takes active energy, energy from calories to build that muscle tissue that's going to help you one, be stronger and not be out of breath when you go out of the stairs. And one, just be able to utilize all those calories that you're taking in towards the active tissue, whether that's helping you recover, because even on your rest days, you still need to eat the same, if not more than a training day. So get out of here with this. I didn't even, I didn't even <laughs> move today. I was in a sales meeting all day yesterday where I hardly moved. Um, and I still ate all like so much food because for me, I knew that like in two days I'm going to be training when I have a, like, I typically train for roughly two hour, hour and a half, two hours. So for me, like making sure that my muscles are recovered and they're prime is so important to me. 
And, you know, for anyone, like if you're doing any, even if you're, like I said, you're going on a really long walk with your friends, you want to make sure you have the energy to get through that walk without feeling fatigued. And the way to do that is through the energy that is in calories. So getting away from the idea that I need less and less because eating less and less is going to, you're not going to be able to play with your kids and have a ton of energy. You're probably going to hit that 2 PM slump because the energy from the calories is what's going to help us have that really good, you know, cognitive like focus when you're working on a really hard project at work. You're going to get rid of that kind of, I'm hangry and I have brain fog, but I just need to fight through it because you're hungry and you're having brain fog. There's nothing to fight through. That is your body telling you, please, for the love of God, feed me. It's not ignoring me. Like you, like clearly like you didn't say it's a crying baby. You don't ignore a crying baby. You don't like yep. throw the baby in a closet and say, well, best of luck. <laughs> You know, so like you have to listen to your body. If you're hungry, listen to it. And the, and the hardest thing is let's say you've been under eating for a really long period of time. Uh, and let's say you don't really have hunger cues anymore. You're mm-hmm. like, well, I don't really notice myself being hungry. I'm like, well, how often do you find yourself scrolling through Instagram and only looking at food accounts? Yep. Yep. How often are you thinking about food? Are you thinking about when the next time I can have food is? Or are you just like powering through your day because you're so busy? And then it's 9 p.m. and you've all you've had today are three caramel macchiatos. And you're like, I'm starving, cracked out on caffeine. And you know what? I'm going to eat a whole Portillo's cake. And, you know, and that's like your only sense is you're so hungry. And so just focusing people on understanding that let's focus on fueling your body throughout the day with who, whatever it is that you're, you're wanting. For me, I love starting my day with a bagel. You know, I... Trader Joe's has the pumpkin spice bagel. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I'm here for it, you guys. <laughs> so, you know, and for me, eating really high carbohydrate dense foods is great for me. As an athlete, I need those carbohydrates. I need that fuel so I can lift those really big weights over my head. Like those weights aren't going to lift themselves. They will stay on the ground. That's what gravity is for. But if my body wants to actually physically lift them over my head, I need to take the energy from those calories, regardless of what it's coming from, whether it's Pop Tarts, a bagel, you know, fruit, vegetables, you know, whatever it is, it's best to fuel my body to lift that weight over my head. Maybe that's, you know, that energy is going to help you play with your kids, do well at work, etc. The idea that food is good or bad is is kind of a, is washed because for me, I, I solely look at food as, as a fuel source, right? And whatever my body is like, hey, like I'm really craving something really savory and salty. Maybe I really need a burger. Maybe I'm really low in iron. Maybe I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'm just needing some salt. As an athlete, you sweat so much, you need to be taking in enough sodium. So maybe I'm just needing some sodium, so electrolytes in my life. You know, maybe I'm craving like only something that's like crisp and fresh and maybe like a fruit, veggie, spinach salad mm-hmm. with pumpkin mm-hmm. seed because it's pumpkin time. So, <laughs> you know, maybe, and that's, maybe that's what that is. But at no point I'm ever like, oh no, I really want a cupcake. And I'm a cupcake a day person. Um, and, and for me... I think about it, I'm like, man, this cupcake is going to help me be so strong tomorrow. And that's how I focus that. Instead of being like, I know a lot of my clients like, well, man, well, if I eat this cupcake, it's going to go straight to my butt or it's going to go straight to my belly. Or I'm going you know, to feel like I'm just going to gain weight from eating that cupcake. I'm going to gain weight by looking at that cupcake. And I always tell people, I'm like, you eat that cupcake and think about all those gains that you're going to get. You're going to be so strong because of that cupcake. And never once or, or am I thinking like, oh, this is bad. Oh, this has got a lot of sugar. I don't know, that frosting has a lot of sprinkles in it, you know, and just focusing it on how can this energy 
help me be a better athlete, help me be a better person and getting away from the idea that's good and bad, but focusing more on, man, this is going to help me be such a better athlete. I love that. And something that you touched on a lot, first of all, I love your sense of humor. (laughs) I hope that people are laughing because I know they can't see me, but I was sitting here like laughing through a lot of that because you, you made some really solid like mic drop points. But I think something that you're speaking to really beautifully is the potential to be able to unlearn all of that stuff, to be able to look at something that diet culture demonizes as air quote bad and see it as a fuel source or something that can empower your recovery or your strength or whatever that might mean. And something that I really encourage my clients to do, which it sounds like you're doing a lot of the same is just retraining how we talk about food when we look at it. So take something like a cupcake, for example, that we automatically start to think because we've been trained by diet culture, bad, too much sugar, can't have, shouldn't eat, right? All of these things. And just like hit pause on those thoughts. Like we're not just going to automatically wake up one day and never think that way again, right? But just kind of notice that it's happening and say, whoa, this is not helpful. This is not helping me to be a better version of myself. So what's maybe something else that that cupcake means to me or that it's going to do for me? So maybe it is the fuel source. Maybe if it's in a social setting, maybe it's connection. Maybe it's allowing you to be with other people. Maybe it's a memory. Maybe it's like... (laughs) It's like, how many times can we say pumpkin in this conversation, right? But when I think to cupcakes, my mom... When I was younger, she used to make these pumpkin mini muffins with a cream cheese icing, right? So maybe it's memory or it's connection or it's something that brings up something that, you know, underneath all of those layers of diet culture can be really nourishing for you in more ways than one. And one thing that I just want to touch on for people who are listening um, to just to add on to everything that you said, I think it's really easy to forget that our bodies need energy regardless of what we are doing. So like you work with an athlete population mostly, and they have a high level of activity. So of course they're going to need fuel and energy, but maybe anyone who's listening, who's like, you know, this doesn't apply to me because I don't identify as air quote, an athlete, like no Karen, (laughs) if there's any Karens, I'm not trying to target you, but like, no, like even if you were listening and maybe your level of activity isn't super high to your standards or whatever that means. Like your body is still needing energy and adequate energy, even if you are sedentary. So this whole idea of, again, coming back to what we talked about before of, I have to move to earn my food or that food has so much energy. I'm going to have to burn it off later. Like no matter what full stop, your body needs food every single day. So one other question that I want to ask you along these lines, um, I think a lot in the, the world that we are in, What I see, at least, or from my perspective, is so many people fear-mongering about, well, what happens if you overeat, right? Like, overeating is the death of society. Overeating is the worst thing that you can do for your body. But I don't really see a lot of people. I see some, um, especially in the intuitive eating, eating disorder, just, you know, this other movement that's happening. I see it some there, but I don't really see a lot of people talking about how under eating or under fueling our bodies can have a negative impact metabolically, um, mentally, emotionally, all of these things. So you, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago that some clients will come to you with like hair loss and fatigue, 
but maybe just elaborate a little bit, if you will, some of the harms from your perspective of undereating. Sure. So I think a really big thing, especially for like, for me, I am a weight class athlete. So I have to, you know, for the most part, I have to know in general how much I weigh for the most part. And for me, I don't cut weight anymore because I don't really care. But I have a lot of athletes who are weight class athletes, and that's important for them to at least know-ish how much they weigh and understanding that. And a lot of people will come to me like, well, my weight is the same forever. And they're like, I keep eating less. I keep eating less. I'm going to the gym more. And nothing is changing. And I keep, I keep telling people, I was like, well, um, they tell me, and I, and I see how much they're eating. You know, I look at, you know, kind of like, you know, what's a normal day in the life, you know, for them. And they're waking up several times in a night and, you know, their hair is falling out. They haven't had a period in a really long time, no sex drive. You know, they're, they have lots of brain fog and they have a hard time performing or doing anything in the gym. Even my more like my non, my non-athlete clients who are just kind of like regular gen pop, you know, they have a nine to five job, they have children, they like to, you know, just go on walks and at night with their kids and they relatively live a somewhat sedentary life minus going on a few walks here and there. Um, and like you say, moving freely mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and they'll even tell me like, you know, like I just, I don't understand. And I tell a lot of people, well, picture this, you're on a desert, deserted island and all you have is a backpack full of food. Your body or, and you are, you're not going to sit there and eat the entire backpack full of food in one sitting when it's just you and Wilson, you know, <laughs> You know, I love the reference. I love it. So you have to, you know, you're, you're slowly going to partition in little nibbles that food. So it's exactly what your body is doing to any sort of extra fat mass in your body. When we, when your body doesn't know when the next time it's going to get adequately fed and it basically down regulates and puts you on battery saver mode and kind of says, well, you know, what's causing, costing us a lot of calories, having a good hormonal system, say goodbye to your period. You know, what's caught like, it's really metabolically expensive to us right now, having muscle mass, we're going to start burning that off too. So, and you know, what's going to happen is you're going to have really high cortisol levels. You're going to start noticing lots of fat mass around your belly. So lots of like kind of organ fat that can lead to like, you know, things like type two diabetes, Alzheimer's and things like that. And you're going to feel like you're stuck and you plateau and you're like, man, but I'm going to the gym. I'm only eating vegetables and I'm only eating, you know, like it's like little tiny baby rabbit food meals all day. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting nowhere and I'm having, I'm, I feel like crap. I'm run down. And the second that we start actually reintroducing food and increasing the overall amount of food, it's amazing how people bounce back um, because they're actually being fed. And it, the biggest thing is getting people to be in the gym less. Um, so I have people who come to me like I'm working out six, seven days a week and I get them training three, four days a week eating and eating more food than they've ever had in their lives. And that's when they actually start seeing that body composition change. That's when they actually start seeing like that kind of bloating and that belly fat starting to go away, more hair growth, sex drive, having more energy to play with their children and, go, and you know, go on walks at night and really getting away from the idea that I think a lot of people, especially, um, struggle with instead of shrinking yourself focusing on getting stronger, you know, and, and for me, I struggle with that a lot as a, as a weight class athlete, you know, it, for me, it was like, I want to be in a smaller weight class. I want to be in a lighter weight class. because I want to be more competitive because if my lift stayed the same and I weigh less, I'd be the strongest person in the weight class. Little do you know, when you drop weight classes, you're also losing muscle mass apparently. Um, and, and that, that isn't always the case. And you just get really small and you become really disordered around food and you have, and you become really sick. 
And if I would have taken all the time that I spent shrinking myself into focusing on how can I become stronger by eating enough and prioritizing sleep and recovery, I'd be a way better athlete than I, than I even am now. I took four years trying to nonstop shrink myself and eat super low amounts of food, where if you just kind of shift the thought into being like, how can I shrink myself to how can I become stronger? It's incredible how you view food, how you view food as fuel versus food as a direct weapon against you. Like, oh no, I'm going to change my body and, you know, getting away from the idea that I need to eat less and move more and get more into the idea I need to eat more and move less so I can recover, grow muscle tissue and have more metabolically active tissue with my body in terms of muscle mass. So, and having just more energy to do daily tasks and getting away from the idea that I need to shrink myself because you know what, at the end of the day, you can shrink yourself as much as you want, but you're not going to shrink the problems. You're not going to shrink your relationship with food and that's going to stay with you forever. You're going to hit that new low body weight. You're going to hit that, you know, new low, whatever in between your toes. You're going to look down and see the scale, whatever value you want. And next thing you know, you're going to be like, well, what next? And you're just going to keep kind of searching for this, for this, this feeling when instead of really looking at what am I chasing? Why am I continually trying to shrink myself? And what benefit am I getting from being smaller? Why not change that and focus that energy into how can I be stronger? How can I be more healthy? And how can I be in a place that I can be around cupcakes and not have a complete total meltdown? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love everything that you said. And it's so interesting to me, like as, as you were talking about how the body will make shifts and changes uh, throughout a disordered eating process or always wanting to eat less and be smaller. I think it's so incredibly fascinating how resilient the body can be and how the body is so stinking smart. Something that I love to say over and over again, it's like one of those Twitter things that's going around. It's like, I don't know who needs to hear this, but um, biology is always going to win because our body is hardwired for survival. So I love the analogy of being on a desert island with a backpack of food. I've, I've never heard that exact analogy. I've heard the science behind it, but the analogy really speaks to the fact of you're not eating enough, then food is going to be the thing that you obsess over, right? You only got one backpack. Your eyes are going to be on the backpack the whole time you're on the island. Also, as you start eating less, because the body wants to survive and perpetuate your genes and pass along to whatever ancestors in the future, then, well, of course, your metabolism is going to slow down to support your function. And so you can live for as long as you possibly can. So I find that super interesting. And then as you were talking about the the body composition changes as one eats less, like just having more fat mass or fat tissue around our vital organs, I find that so fascinating. Again, we can't say that's a bad thing or like, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? The body's like, these are the most important things that I need to keep running. So I got to insulate them and protect them. So I hope anyone who's listening can kind of just say like, thank you body. Like I know they can't see me, but I'm like patting myself on the back because the body is always doing what it can to work for you. But the question really is, are we going to do what we can to work for the body rather than against it through doing things like resting, eating enough, um, having good social connections, like getting out and enjoying our life with, with the means that we have access to. So 
I love, love, love this conversation so far. And I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit because I promised everyone that we would highlight some of your meat science knowledge. Um, so I was thinking, and I kind of gave you a little tip off at the beginning of the, the podcast before we started recording that I wanted to do some rapid fire myth busters. So it's kind of like a 180 of our conversation here, but I think anyone who's listening, um, who maybe is cal- phobic, like we were saying, or has it just a lot of fear towards food in general, they can maybe tap into some of Livy's knowledge on a couple of these things. So I'm going to maybe pretend like I'm a consumer or someone who has some of these fears. And I'll be totally honest, these are things that I have said before, um, before I became a dietitian or before I had knowledge. So if anyone who is out there saying like, oh my God, I've said these things, like I'm right there with you, but I'm going to pretend like I'm the consumer. And then you in like a minute or so, just give me your little elevator speech on what you would say. So Livy, food just has too many chemicals these days. I just can't go into the grocery store and buy anything because I'm so afraid of the chemicals that's just in all of these processed foods. So you know, what I like to say and remind people a lot is, you know, if, what if I said the word, you know, dihydrogen monoxide, it rusts metal, you can drown in it, it kills people, you can die if you have too much, you can die if you have too little. That sounds pretty terrifying. If you saw dihydrogen monoxide on a label, a lot of people would be like, oh my God, that's a scary chemical. And then I tell them it's H2O and water. It's, that's water. Dihydrogen, <laughs> two hydrants, monoxide, one, like one solo oxygen. And they're like, oh man, I just got duped. And there are a lot of chemicals that are in a label and they all serve a purpose for whatever it is, whether it's food safety, whether that's, you know, shelf life. So we have less food waste. Maybe that's, you know, making a product taste better. So whatever it, the reason there are the chemicals that are used in food are safe. And, the, and honestly, the poison is in the dose. What I like to tell a lot of people is if you live solely on just broccoli, I'm sure you would not be healthy. Because if all you ate, and that was the only thing that you ate was broccoli, even though broccoli is considered a quote-unquote health food, if all you ate was broccoli, I'm sure you would be farting up a storm. <laughs> so my thing is the poison is in the dose. If you are having, you know, bacon, you know, and if, or if you're having, you know, a hostess cake, or if you're having a cupcake, whatever it is, and you're also including... Other, you know, like, like, you know, vegetables, whole grains, you know, yeah. lean meats, other, and fruits, other parts and things into your diet. Great. Um, there's no reason to fear chemicals because everything has to go through a really rigorous testing process to make sure they are safe to be in our food. And a lot of them have really important, um, food safety benefits that actually keep us from getting very sick and allow us to have less food waste. So the idea that chemicals are bad is kind of just this idea that we don't necessarily know what the chemicals are. So like I said, it's like dihydrogen monoxide. It sounds scary, but really it's water. So kind of understanding what the chemical is before we start really getting scared, especially when naturally, for example, bananas contain formaldehyde, regardless if it's natural, organic, whatever, is a component of banana. And I'm not saying do not eat bananas. I I actually (laughs) ate bananas today. So please eat a banana. Call me on the banana phone ring, ring. I'm not, you know, condemning bananas by any means, but it's understanding that some things that might be really poisonous in large doses occur naturally in our food. 
naturally and they're not going to poison you. I love that. You squashed that fear right out of me. So on to number two. So Libby, I just, I'm buying organic everything. And you know, my bank account is really hurting because organic food is so stinking expensive. But my friend, Karen from gym class, we were talking about Karen earlier. She told me that I am not healthy if I don't buy everything organic. Like, is it okay for me to buy conventionally raised food or do I have to buy everything organic? So when it comes to organic agriculture, um, the thing that actually makes me really sad about organic agriculture in general is this whole trend on, air quotes, clean label or less ingredients, natural, organic. And all these phrases are getting put on more and more products. And it's actually overall raising the cost of food. So while Karen might be able to afford organic food, it is changing the price even of conventional foods that are now getting claims that are like, oh, it's, it's conventional, but they're using the word natural and things like that on it because there are different USDA and FDA loopholes they can jump through to use the word natural. But the word natural has no standard of identity, right? Anyone can say it's natural. Like, Blair, you and I are just in here naturally. Slap a label <laughs> on me that says natural. Um, and, you know, an understanding that there's a lot of marketing that goes into these claims, um, but it's increasing overall the cost of food, which makes it really hard for people in low-income families to actually be able to afford nutritious, high-quality foods. So people consuming organic and natural foods are actually driving in the cost of food up and making it harder for low-income families. Or people if even think about you know that, that family in Africa that doesn't even have access to food at all, making it harder for us to get food to them. Because at the end of the day, there are 7 billion people in the world, and we cannot feed the world on organic agriculture because... Imagine having a field and, you know, with conventional agriculture, we can, you know, yield 85 to 90% of that field with organic agriculture, really only able to yield 60%. So think of all that waste of land and resources in trying to grow that amount of crops and not actually getting the crops itself. So that's the big thing there, as well as there's, if you look at any sort of journal article, it's actually published and peer reviewed. There's a big difference between someone's Instagram and the peer reviewed journal article um, there is no actual data showing the difference in terms of nutrient quality from organic to non-organic produce, as well as meat sources. And the big thing there as well is how it's actually harder on the environment because we need more land and resources and time to grow things organically. And I think a lot of people, the more that we, there's only 3% of people today are directly involved in agriculture and the more and more we get, you know, into large cities and away from agriculture, the less we actually understand why we're doing certain things and why people are choosing, you know, why it's important to eat conventional products, as well as understanding that just because something says it's organic doesn't mean it contains pesticides. Organic produce still contains pesticides. Same thing with it's a live animal, right? meat is going to contain hormones. It came from a live and living being that had hormones naturally occurring in its body. So this whole hormone-free whatever, insane, as well as additionally, any pork or poultry in the United States um, is not allowed under any circumstances whatsoever to be administered hormones. So when you're buying that chicken that says hormone-free, look at that little asterisk in size 6 font times New Roman, all the way in the bottom, that says... <laughs> The USDA does not allow the use of hormones in pork or poultry. So you're actually getting duped to be paying $3 more because marketing slapped that word natural and hormone-free on there. Um, it's exactly the same thing that's sitting right next to it that's, that doesn't have that claim. And so kind of looking 
for the fear marketing and the fear mongering in terms of the labeling and the marketing and kind of looking past that understanding what is crap and what is true. I love that. And it, and I'm so, I'm laughing one, because I just learned a lot, like from everything you just said, I was just like a sponge over here, soaking up the knowledge. And I'm also laughing because you answered like in your answer to that question, you have already answered my next question. So, um, I won't put you on the spot anymore, but my next question was tell me about the hormones and meat. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and I, you know, I can go a little further on that in just terms of like, for example, we do use some hormones in beef, for example, so in beef specifically, we use an estradiol implant that goes into the tip of their ear. And so you'll, it kind of looks like a little ear tag. And all hormones that we administer to cattle um, have a withdrawal period. So anytime prior to slaughter, um, everything that gets administered to an animal, whether it's an antibiotic, if they're sick, or it's a you know an implant, it is like noted when that was administered. And it has to have a certain withdrawal period prior to slaughter. So there's no residue at you know the time of slaughter um and things actually it's interesting because a can of beer a serving of coleslaw all those things are actually going to have way higher nanograms of estrogen than a three ounce serving of beef to begin with so anyone who's saying that you know well my beef is really high in hormones and estrogen and that's well the difference between implanted and non-implanted cattle is almost almost statistically insignificant because because of the withdrawal periods that we use so again the whole idea of hormone-free anything is there are no hormones or even to extend to antibiotics in your food, period, because we have a very specific withdrawal period prior to slaughter, making sure that all the food that you consume is hormone antibiotic-free. Wow. Fascinating. You put, you put that myth out like, like a firefighter putting out a fire. Man, I'm, I'm kind of thinking here as we're like doing these rapid fire that we could have totally, maybe I'll park this in the bike rack for the future, but I could totally have you on here for just talk about busting food myths because yeah. your expertise with what we talked about first is incredible and is so valuable to your audience and to mine, but also in, in my sphere of like professionals and people who I'm connected with, I don't know anyone who can answer those food science questions like you can. So those are the main ones that I had for you today, but thanks for kind of going back and forth and sharing not only some of your knowledge as it kind of, you know, boils down to people working in that one-on-one like client facing setting, but also when it comes to kind of the more macro level, just how do we look at food and how do we talk about food and how food is labeled in general. So I hope anyone who is listening can hear that you are so knowledgeable and that you have so much knowledge to give. So on that note, if anyone doesn't follow you already, isn't familiar with your content, where do you hang out the most and where is the best place that people can find you to connect with you and get some more myth busting tips along the way. (laughs) Yeah. I'm here for the daily myth busting. Anytime I see it, I will capture it, bust it, squash it. So if you're interested in learning more about food myths, about being a well-fueled athlete, or just learning how to love food, follow me on Instagram at Livy Ron, L-I-V-I-R-O-N underscore R-D. Pretty much where I hang out the most. Um, I am the owner of my, I have a company. I I have a few employees that work for me. Um, and if you want to follow my company's Instagram, we are revival underscore wellness underscore nutrition. And if you wanted to head over to our website and check that out, it's revivalwn.com. 
Love it. So anybody who's listening, go check out Livy. I highly recommend, I believe it's a new highlight reel you have on your feed, but it's like the Mythbusters highlight reel. Um, I checked that out even before we hopped on our our podcast today. And I was like, this is a great resource. I will check back here weekly. But the the last question that I have for you as we wrap up here, um, whenever I have a guest on the podcast, I like to finish off with this question so we can end on on a very positive note. So something that you know to be true about my message and my content and what I stand for is this whole idea of living gently with ourselves, meaning we offer ourselves some space, some self-compassion to grow and have goals and do all the things, but not necessarily beat ourselves up along the way if things don't go as we planned or as we anticipated. So my question for you as we wrap up our podcast is what do you do either on a daily basis or a weekly basis to just live a little bit more gently and kindly with yourself? So my, so I kind of have a similar phrase, but um, it, it means a similar thing, but I always say, let's crush it. Right. And it's my kind of thing. And whatever it is today, whatever intention I set for the day, I'm going to crush it. I'm going to do the best that I can that day. And sometimes it doesn't happen but I'm always finding a way that how did I crush it today? Maybe I didn't get that task done. Maybe I didn't get whatever. Well, like what is at least one thing that I did today that I totally crushed? And sometimes that's just making my bed. You know what? I made my bed today, crushed it. Um, and I find, always find at least one thing every day that I do that I crushed. And so I love that. My thing that I always have my clients do as well. And I, everyone who interacts with me knows that the thing that I say the most is let's crush it. Um, Cause of whatever that is, whether that's, steps, veggies, water, just, you know, really crushing the, you know, food myths, whatever it is. Um, I'm hoping that someone's out there crushing it. I love that. It's kind of like always finding a way to focus on one thing that you did that was positive, even if the rest of your day went not as you anticipated. So maybe you'll have to get a let's crush it tattoo if you don't have one already. Maybe that <laughs> can be kind of in the works, but I would love to see that. And Libby, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, for offering your expertise. Again, anyone who doesn't follow her, be sure to go and do so. But it is a pleasure connecting with you as always. And Until next time, podcast family, yours truly, Libby and Claire. Hey friend, just wanted to pop on here really quickly to say thank you so much for tuning into episode 65 of the Yours Truly podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Livy Ron. I loved having this conversation with her and how we were able to tackle so many different topics. So again, I apologize for my little technology mishap there in the beginning, but I hope you're walking away with a lot of value from this episode. As always, if you are loving what you are hearing here on the Yours Truly podcast, nothing would help the podcast out more than for you to like, love, share, subscribe, hit the stars, five of them, preferably if you are moved by the spirit. And if you have a couple of extra moments, leave us a rating or a review, whatever it is that you type, telling us what you're loving and anything that you would love to hear in the future. So thanks so much for being here and we will see you next Wednesday. Bye.